How are you now? Good, Neil. Not so bad. You found me. I found you. Well, you found me, and then I was able to invite you. Okay. Because I showed up, huh? It's probably because I, I didn't. Probably because I haven't actually posted anything. Yeah, maybe. I don't know. This does sound a little bit better on my end. Yeah, I hope so too. Um, I think so too. Cool. It um sounded a little delayed, but I don't hear that popping noise anymore. Yeah, same thing. All right, so let's let's just talk about your sermon because I liked it a lot, and I think there was cool stuff to talk about there. <laughs> well, I'm glad I was cool. Yeah, that's the goal, I'm pretty sure. Yeah, pretty sure. Cool pastors, they're the best. <laughs> well, they, they might at least be cool. <laughs> uh, all right, well, where do you wanna where do you wanna start? What do you wanna what are you what either piqued your interest or curiosity or where do you wanna question me? Um you know, I, I took a couple notes and I um reviewing them. I think what I liked about it were just some of the real simple things that you restated that I just think are so important for us to hear right now. Like, because mm. um, even just the very beginning, the way you prayed into your your gathering and you you reminded people about the changing seasons, it's kind of like, yeah, that's just something people do to kind of break the ice, even in a formal thing, right? But but then the way you were like, yeah, but the seasons are changing, like the seasons of the world. Um, and for, and actually I really liked how you pointed out, like we didn't choose this time. Yeah. And I liked how that just set the stage. Cause what it did is it, what it does, I think is um, freeze us a little bit. I don't know. It kind of loosens something up inside of us, right. To be, to just be reminded, like you didn't choose to be here, but here you are. Right. <clears throat> yeah. It's not something we think about very often. I'm trying to remember I don't know. I, it actually just sort of came back to me. It was an idea that I was playing with a while ago um, that became something I was thinking about. I mean, uh, yeah, I don't remember where that came up initially for me, but it's something that I've returned to periodically. You know, and I think, I guess, as I said, there seems to be just a lot of pushback when when we talk about what the state of the world is and and some of the larger uh, social or systemic or economic forces that are at play it seems like people want to wipe their hands of it to sort of you know step back and say whoa hey you know kind of call foul and say i didn't do this this isn't my doing i i didn't own slaves i didn't uh kill the indians i you know i didn't create capitalism Right. So just sort of this idea that that we that we're a part of these larger systems. That it's true that we, so many of the things we're living through right now, we haven't created ourselves, and yet we do that sort of, or maybe intentionally even um, dismissing uh, our role or our participation uh, in the systems that still linger. And slavery might be gone, but uh, racism isn't, and so I guess I think that's sort of what I'm thinking about is is none of us none of us are are free from taking a look at the ways that we do participate in the systems that are still alive today. Yeah. Um, 
and I, yeah. So anyways, and I think we're, we haven't even agreed on what those systems are. And I think that's some of the political tactics is just to call into question everything. Um, yeah. It's the fastest way to maintain the status quo. So anyways, yeah. so I feel like saying that it's true. None of us, none of us chose to be alive in 2020. Um, and yet here we are. <laughs> so, yeah. And it is interesting how it is. It is kind of a paradoxical way in which that frees us to take more ownership of it. Um, being reminded that it's a total accident when you were born, you know, or in terms of you didn't choose it. No one chooses when they are blessed with life on this earth. But it's so it wakes you back up to the fact of like, oh, yeah, uh, there's no shame or blame for the fact that I'm here now. There's only the reality of it and the reality of then either engaging with the life I have that's been given to me and the time that, you know, actually engaging with the real facts of life of this time. Yeah. Or, or, or not, you know, or kind of trying to distance myself from them or whatever. Um, right. Yeah. So it's just, it is interesting. I mean, it's a profound little reminder that does, it could easily wash over you and just go right by, but it's like, oh, wait a second. There's some pretty big stuff when we remind ourselves that this is the case always and that right. and that now we're free to say all right so what is this time about that we that we happen to be living in what is this time really about um yeah, yeah I, mean, I, like that. I think that's that's my that's my hope but um thanks yeah well and then because and then that's where you go into your next kind of simple thing again especially for a group of christians gathered was to point out that the stories of jesus are where we tend to go when we're trying to make sense of our world and our lives. And again, that's just a simple reminder. Well, but, yes, it, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, just going to say, but that's a key hermeneutic of how to read scriptures and how to make sense of the world that I think we do tend to gloss over and not think about very much. Right. Or, or we're part of traditions that don't do that very much. And we should ask, why not? Why the hell not? Yeah. Right. Yeah, I do think it's both. I think it's um, a reminder, like you said, a simple reminder of a of a hermeneutic of how we engage the tradition, the stories, uh, our own relationship to the tradition and stories. But it is, I think, also, and maybe even more, well, I don't know, it's probably not more importantly, equally as important, is calling out the traditions that call themselves Christian that that don't overtly or um, intentionally put the stories of Jesus in the forefront, but would rather spend all of their time reading Paul or uh, reading Genesis or strangely enough, sticking Leviticus in there, you know, regularly. So, yeah, yeah so it, it was both. It was both to name my own hermeneutic as, of starting with the four gospels and also to sort of remind, encourage and call out, I guess, all at the same time. Yeah. Yeah, that's good. Because I think that is, I mean, you and I would argue that is the proper hermeneutic that we don't want to lose track of as Christians. Um, and that's not to say other, it, the point is, it's the core. There there are other writings, there are other uh, systems of thought and doctrine that have established over years that are useful at times. But if they don't build off that core or reflect that core or help us better understand the gospel and the gospels and the stories of Jesus and what he taught. Yeah. They, they can become, 
Well, they can kind of become false idols themselves, uh, systems of thought that can lead us away from what we claim to be about. So, which, yeah, which I, then, yeah. oh, go ahead. I was going to say, I think that's true. I was just going to agree with you. <clears throat> yeah. So, but then that's the beauty of too, where you went with this. Um, again, a simple move to say, and yet we need to hear these voices like the voices Jesus you know, besides just looking at what he said or the stories about him, what did he refer to? What hermeneutics did he use and apply? And then to be reminded again, he was looking at the prophets. He was looking at the Old Testament voices of his tradition and applying them to his day. Well, that's why they, that's why they call it the Hebrew scriptures, right? Like that's yeah. that's whose they were and still are. We we essentially borrow them. Yeah. And sometimes better than others. And as you rightly point out, too, the beauty of those is that they have these universal themes and elements, though. It could be what makes them a lasting tradition, a lasting world tradition, is that they speak to the universal. So you don't have to be Jewish. You don't have to even be of Judeo-Christian heritage or line. You can appreciate the voice of those prophets and the voice of those Hebrew scriptures and what they say to the universal human community um, yeah well I, I think the um the well-known rabbi abraham joshua heschel i mean that's what he says is that western philosophy and western thinking has largely dismissed the hebrew prophets and yeah. um have have chosen greek philosophy over it when um when the prophets are another way of engaging the world seeing the world thinking about um, that usually get relegated off either as superstition or, you know, even if they're just relegated as religious thought, that usually is a, a way to sideline it, you know? Oh, well, religion is, is for some other purpose, but it's not, it's not where real thinkers uh, show up. It's not where um, the real work is done. But, you yeah. know, I, I, I would challenge anybody to read a book of Abraham Joshua Heschel and, uh, and lodge those critiques against his writings that he is neither doing the real work nor a, a legitimate thinker. So, right, yeah, <laughs> uh, yeah. Or or a guy like Brueggemann too, who spent his so much of his career digging through the Old Testament, the Hebrew scriptures. Yeah, um, yeah and he did it. He did it as a Christian uh, pastor and scholar. Yet, yeah, you know, doing it honoring it as as not just our old testament but really as the the text of of a people that are both us and not us so i think that's where that's where his good work comes into yeah well and so so that that teases up to for the point then so that was all prelude really all those good things were just to get to so what what is the call of our time what is the work to be done you use that phrase about the work um, and hearing those voices and hearing those prophets of today. And I loved where you said, like, just ask the question, like, where are they? Where do we find the voices that speak to today, speak to our time, like those prophets of old spoke to, have spoken across the centuries? Um, yeah. And obviously you had, you had the scripture you were, you were starting from too, uh, Micah, Micah three. 
Yeah, Micah and Micah saying, "What was it that the those who who have food are saying? Peace, peace. <laughs> yeah, cry peace, but um, yeah, and yell at those who have nothing to put in their mouths. Yeah, I mean that's just to meditate on that and reflect on our time. Like that's." You know, or those who cry yeah. out for the status quo, like, oh yeah, just let's just things are fine. But no, when you're, and I can't speak to this from personal um, experience, but that's where you know the civil rights movement was saying, no, we've been told to wait and wait for years and years, for centuries, and now is finally the time. And then now we're realizing, and we as a people didn't do that work we thought we did fully. We didn't. Right. We didn't take it across the finish line in any sort of meaningful way. And what we've learned, if anything, is probably that we shouldn't even think about it like that, but we need to keep moving. There is no sort of promised land finish line that we're going to get to. And that's why we need to keep keep grinding and keep working on these issues within our, our society. Yeah. Um, yeah, I think so. Because what I mean is those voices that will say peace and status quo are not the ones who are being oppressed. We're not the ones who are still being right. uh, incarcerated yeah. and killed and left out um, in so many ways. Yeah, I mean, and and I think specifically, you know, it's easy to it's easy for the haves uh, to yell peace at the have nots. Right. I think that's the way that this text is sort of um you know articulated too and 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 in the most basic of ways right of those who have plenty to eat and those who have nothing to put in their mouths you know and yeah um and uh you know and i feel like that too um sort of leads to matthew 25 too right where jesus is saying you know for when i was hungry you you fed me and um you know, and even Jesus' disciples come right back and say, when, Lord, when was it that we saw that you were hungry? You know, totally missing the point. Um, so I think those things go go through. And I, and I appreciate, too, that it's that it is, you know, the most basic need or one of the most basic needs is to just have food in our mouths and our bellies. And it's yeah. and it's easy when you're satisfied. It's easy when when you're satiated, it's easy when, you know, your cupboards are stocked full and you don't really know what it's like to have hunger pangs to say, to tell others to just, you know, well, just be at peace yeah. or, to, or to cry out for it or to, or to yell that they are not at peace. Um, yeah. So anyways. Yeah. You know, and this is, I hadn't even thought about this aspect of it before, but this is something that's been bothering me is I have read in a few places and I've heard people say, uh, well, the economy is in good shape right now, or it's, or it's rebounding. (laughs) It's strong. Right. Sure. Um, And what has bothered me about that recently is, well, a, we know that there were measures taken by the federal government to help through the beginning of the pandemic that are now kind of, going to be fizzling out or have just started to fizzle out and they since we didn't get another round it's like but now we're going to see what that really has done and had done but not only that we know that demand is up for food in food pantries yeah so it's like wait a second how how is it how is it even possible that we have such intelligent 
people looking at our economy, judging things. And, and some of them are saying publicly that the economy is strong and the economy is good. While at the same time, we have more people needing food like that just doesn't compute. <laughs> well, I mean, I think some people would take issue with your use of the word intelligent. <laughs> yeah. And if that is if there is intelligence involved there, it's myopic. Right. I mean, it's a it's a singular minded um, numbers based and and only some of the numbers. Right. So like right. everyone who's getting giddy about the fastest rebound in history like neglects the fact that this isn't a normal recession it never was and the reason that you can put 11 million people back to work so quickly is because they want it to be and in reality most of their employers wanted to put them back to work um they just couldn't or wouldn't because they didn't think it was safe and you know and i think too that's the other i mean i i think that's the piece about waiting to see well, the last stimulus was in June and July. Well, it was there's supposed to be a new one in August. And so, like, I think we've gone long enough to see that, like, well, one stimulus got half of the rebound back. So, like, maybe we would maybe another one would get us another good section of the way. But anyways, I mean, I heard somebody else say just the other day, you know, the the pandemic is still in control of the economy. And until we can get our heads truly wrapped around that, we we might not get the other half back yet. Well, yeah, and I guess that's where I just think like, so you have people and, and I do think we, we assume there's a level of intelligence there just, and by that, I mean, culturally, we, we think, we all of us think that we understand and are in control of things like our economy in ways, you know, that because we have such data, because we have such uh mass computing capabilities and because of the, the the wisdom of the last decades um you know of the last century especially growing knowledge of how economies and the world economy work we we think of ourselves as quite intelligent in all this stuff yet we can miss some of the fundamentals like more people needing food so we can be sure. saying to those people like the economy's strong and we can literally have people sitting around the dinner table for the first times in their lives going, we need help. Like we need to go somewhere to get the things that'll fill these stomachs around this table because we don't have it. Um, <laughs> well, and I think this is the point of the profit, right? Yeah. Those, two, those two realities and those two numbers, you know, for hundreds, thousands of years uh, have not been a part of the same conversation. Exactly. And I think, and I think for as much progress as not just that we think we've made, that we've legitimately made, um, you know, that <laughs> there are these things that continue. And I, you know, I do kind of wonder if that's part of the work that needs to be done too, is like, and the work of the prophets has always been is to, to put these conversations together. Um, and I feel like there's a chance that maybe that's what's coming next, you know? And I think the question is, do we have the will and, and not just intelligence, but a spiritual and emotional capacity to take that next step? Because I think the next step is, is going to be an evolutionary one, if we're willing to look at it that way and to make it that. Um, otherwise, we're just gonna be rearranging the deck chairs and, you know, we may or may not hit an iceberg. Um, and so I, I feel like that's, I do feel like that's the potential for what comes next. You know, we have all of this technology 
but we haven't really figured out what to do with it yet. You know, I mean, uh, you know, these iPhones that we're using, you know, they're only 13 years old, right? And so like, they're, you know, barely teenagers and, you know, teenagers don't know anything. They hmm. think they know everything, yeah. <laughs> but, you know, so I feel like even, so this technology we have, like it's affecting us, but we don't know what to do with it yet. And, um, and I just think, I wonder, and I hope, and like, I feel like that's the work is to figure out how do we make this next step? And I think that's the other work that I brought up later on in the sermon was this us versus them. I mean, that's been the, the gathering myth of humanity for, I don't know, all of our existence. And I think, but I think that's the next step. And it's not like there haven't been examples of that not being our myth. Um, because I think the prophets of Israel spoke that way. Jesus spoke that way. And I loved how Richard Rohr said something not too long ago about that was 2000 years ago. Like we, we had, we could have gotten rid of maybe, yeah, you know, like, or we couldn't, maybe we couldn't have gotten rid of it, but like the spark, the impetus, like the wisdom, um, at least in the Christian world, the Christian or whatever, when I say Christian world, I don't, I just mean the, the orbit of Christianity. Yeah. I mean, we've been, we've been misplacing that seed, that core for 2000 years. And, um, Which you know, core? perhaps the, Oh, the core that, that to think in ways other than us versus them. Yeah. To break down those barriers and to truly do that work. So, so that it's not cliche to say there are neither Jew nor Gentile, slave nor free, male nor female. Like, like that's a nice thing that we like to pass around, but we haven't done that work. Um, and that wasn't even Jesus. That was Paul. Yeah. Right? It was. <laughs> so, um, so, you know, while we were giving Jesus all the credit earlier on, like Paul deserves his credit too. And, and we haven't done that. We haven't done that work. I think there are, fits and starts where we've moved closer i guess i just wonder how big of a bite can we take next yeah yeah that's good i mean and that's that's where i did that was kind of the last note i took on your sermon was like yeah what is that work and you're talking about it now um and you did talk about it in the sermon too i just mean like that on the one hand, there's a lot there, but it, it probably does start with that again, a simple turn, which is realizing uh, we're all in this together, realizing we belong to one another, however you want to put it. But that, that, that myth of the us versus them truly is just that. And I think you and I have mentioned before that we, um, you know, Roar talks about this too, that the science advances in science are telling us how, how much of a myth that is, you know, how yeah. interconnected everything is in this right. world, even right. in this universe. Um, oh, shoot. Uh, oh, the things people are learning about, about race, yeah. about, you know, the human genome showing that, you know, race is really just, uh, on the one hand, it's not true. It's a construct, right. a human construct. We are, we are so closely related biologically um, and genetically yet we, we we overlay this these things that where we these narratives where we tell ourselves that we're different um which isn't to say that the uh the, then that construct 
isn't a real thing. The social construct becomes a real thing that people have different lived experiences. But the point being, we all belong to one another. So, so, um, so deeply, so profoundly. Yeah. Um, we are our brother's keeper. I, where, I just heard that reference the other day somewhere. Um, I, I said it in my sermon. Oh, did you? I thought I did. Oh, I put it in, the, at least I put it in my, it's funny. I did put it in my uh, call to worship, actually. I put it in one of the prayers. Maybe I didn't okay. actually, maybe I didn't actually say that though. But yeah, that's been in the back of my head lately. No, and I don't know if you said it, because I think it would have stood out to me. Because what I'm remembering is someone had just pointed out how, I heard someone somewhere, I have no idea where, but it was the reminder that Obama brought that language. <laughs> it was me. I sent you that thing I was writing. Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah, it's been circling in my head for a week or so. But yeah, yeah go ahead and say the rest of it. <laughs> Although I swear I might have heard it somewhere else too, that he brought that language back into the yep into the public sphere. Right. But we've kind of lost track of it a little bit. But then there was another piece of it, right? What, what did you say beyond that? Well, yeah, I mean, that... I, yeah, he was attempting to speak to that in terms of like some kind of communal imagination. And then yeah. again, regardless of political affiliation, Trump has sort of doubled down and dug back in even deeper to this us versus them. And and again, this is not um, I'm not saying this detriment. I'm not saying this uh, pejoratively, but he's essentially uh, used it to base his entire campaign off of is this idea of us versus them and um, good and evil, uh, you know. Right. Growth, growth and destruction. Yeah. So like um, that that is the tool that he's relied on most um, during his presidency to get elected the first time. And he's trying to use it again to get elected. Well, tomorrow. <laughs> uh, yeah, tomorrow. Yeah. And so like and so that's not I'm not even judging him for it. Like, I mean, all you have to do is listen to what he says and the, you, even just the use of the word they. Yeah. how consistently he does that that's not a mistake that's intentional it's to it's to separate and um yeah i mean that's that's what he's trying to do and i think that's you know again whatever you think of president obama like everyone knows or lots of people know or remember that you know being our brother's keeper was a phrase that he used fairly often and and i do think even if it was a feeble attempt it was an attempt to bring that consciousness uh to the forefront yeah, and I think, I think that is what is needed now at this time, and, and that maybe that's the story of our times is just this sort of uh, vacillation back and forth between, um, as we're trying to break the grip of the individualism that has been part of our myth as Americans, especially um, yeah. in, in the West in general, that we're sort of, we're sort of making these motions out, but then we get sucked back into it. Right. And then like, we're starting to get there where we're seeing and, and like we say, science and other things is showing us, we are all interconnected in profound ways. The thing is now, can we actually believe that? Right. Um, yeah. Will there be enough of us who at some point on one of these swings truly step forward in a way where we actually honor that and truly believe it? and start to live into these things that coincidentally, not coincidentally, were exactly what Jesus was talking about when he pointed to the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of God. You know, it, it was always about those sorts of things, uh, about this kinship and about this relatedness and about the relationships. Um, yeah. Well, and I should be clear, too, that, you know, just as I mentioned about Trump using 
the divided thing. It's not like the Democrats have used this idea of togetherness uh, to fuel their campaign. So like, and not at all in some ways, like it's been this very thin veneer. Um, But I feel like that it's such a huge missed opportunity to have really tried to find a way to draw the distinction and pose the alternative and say, it's not, it's not just us versus them light. <laughs> like, you right. know, we, yeah. we, we'll, we'll do it. We'll do it just a little bit less or we'll be nicer about it. No, yeah. <laughs> it has to truly be the alternative to us versus them. And again, this is not meant to be disparaging in any way. Give Trump credit for drawing the stark distinction. It's right there in front of us. And so, and, and so we either get to choose it uh, or choose the light version of it. I mean, <laughs> like that's that's where I'm really sort of frustrated. And then that's also why I was saying in the sermon, too, is like that's why the work comes down to us one way or the other. Like, yeah. And 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 as far as much as most of us feel on a daily or annually uh, daily or annual basis that like we're on the outside of the political parties and this political sphere and that our impact is so small but in general the the political parties will reflect the body politic to some degree right you know there'll always be manipulations and it'll always be an exercise uh to seek power and influence but you know theoretically we also pick the people that represent where we're at and so, you know, for folks like you and me who don't feel represented by Donald Trump, the point is, is that he is revealing where our country still is, you know, in whatever portion it is. We have not figured out how to truly be together, to think together, to imagine uh, together. Um, we're still uh, we're still stuck in this oppositionalism. Yeah. Or I do think there is another a little bit of a part of a story of that being just an indifference and an apathy toward that communal life as well. Um, I think there's a levels of that, which allow for certain levels of manipulation and misinformation. Yeah. Uh, so that, that is another call of this time too, to, re- to remind us all, we, we do have to engage brings us around full circle to that. You know, we didn't choose to be here, but right. this is the time we live in and we do have to engage with it as it is. Cause if we don't, then there's other forces at work that are gonna gonna fill those voids. Um, yeah. Hey, I know you are running short on time. Yeah, I'm getting uh, there. Did you have and, something else? Well, no. I was just gonna say I think this is a good point for us to wrap up on, actually, because just to leave it as a huge part of this work is about debunking the myth of the us versus them. Because um, you and I are talking here on the day before the election, and. Yeah. I think maybe we should plan to talk again soon because it'd be interesting, regardless of how the election goes. That was the point of your sermon too, obviously, um, was we have to keep doing this work. And it, it might have slightly different tones or colors to it, depending on how the outcome goes. But yeah. that, that's, I mean, actually, if Joe Biden wins the presidency, I think one of my fears of that is that people will not look to do this work. Uh, that that so clearly and so desperately needs to be done. Uh, yeah, right. seeking the other, meaning across those political, these totally ran, uh, not random, these totally, but 
uh, arbitrary political lines, uh, divisions we have sown. Uh, that's not right. I'm, I'm saying that wrong. They're not arbitrary, but they we've made them into something so real when there's so much more that binds us together. Yeah. Yeah, I think so. And I think that's the that was the other piece, too, is. Yeah, I mean, I think for anybody who has been um, sort of appalled by the Trump administration, the idea that a Biden administration actually represents relief uh, is it might be just that it might only be relief. But the work isn't hasn't done, isn't been done. And I think that's that's the piece is that is that. The question is, is how do we as Americans want to function with one another? And um, right now we seem pretty content to dig our heels in. And, um, you know, I mean, and again, not to like make it too superficial, but we spend a lot of time, time just calling names and and disparaging those people who have, I mean, essentially other ideas. And uh, and, and that that's it. And like. And, uh, you know, one of the guys you and I listened to said that it's a difference in morality. And 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 to some degree, I, I think we both agree with him. But I think the real difference in morality, and just to bring this last piece, is the difference in morality is is the mythological piece that we're talking about. Is that is that even if we want to argue, because both sides will argue that they have the moral high ground, like that's doesn't that doesn't do anything. The question is, is. The, the mythological movement is to get away from us versus them. And then that's, that's the real moral shift, I think. And, yeah. but I don't know. Yeah. I don't know if we have the taste for it at the moment. Well, um, yeah, I appreciate you bringing up that last point. And I will say just to turn the, the mirror back on ourselves too. We are talking about a sermon you gave in a Christian church. I, I do think there is a call to that community to truly be about that work, right? Um, yeah. Oh, pause. we got to pause for a second. What yeah, do don't need? worry. What do you need, buddy? I'm going to hang up in one minute. And then when I come back, we're going to, I'll boil some eggs for you. Hey, will you just hop off for a second? I'm going to be done in two minutes. I love you. And then we can have as many boiled eggs as you want for dinner. Okay? I'll make you tons of them. I know. That's why we're going to boil them as soon as we get back from school. I love his little voice. Well, it's even better if we realize he's still wearing his Halloween costume. He's Gecko, oh. he's gecko from PJ Masks. He slept in it two days in a row and refuses to take it off. Nice, nice. Um. Anyway. Anyways, there's more. There's more. I, I know, buddy. I'll be right there. <laughs> well, I don't know that we've ever had little voices on our recordings, but I um, but I appreciate the conversation. I think the bottom line is more to be said, more to be done. Right, brother? Exactly, man. Uh, so yeah, part of that work to be done is is tending those kids, too. So uh, we'll let you go. Yeah. All right, brother. Go boil, go boil your eggs, man. All right. Yeah. yeah. Peace.